Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery stories and highlight that shared experience saves lives. For the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from the effects of someone else's alcoholism in the family. I'd like to welcome Wilma and Robin to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Hi Bill. Bill. As members of Alaron Family Groups, they're going to share their experience and tell us how Alaron has helped them. Uh, so, Wilma, we usually start talking about you know growing up and family and whether there was any effects of alcoholism in your family. Um, so what was life like for you as a child? Bill, I'm one of those very fortunate people in Al-Anon that didn't have alcoholism in my life when I was a child. So um, life at home was pretty steady as families go. And um, I think we we seem to happily bowl along um, free from all the troubles and strife that I hear about when I attend, you know, other Al-Anon meetings, it makes me realise how fortunate I am to have had that that happy, happy basic upbringing. So have you got brothers or sisters? I have. Um, I'm one of four. I had an older brother and two younger sisters. And um, my mum and dad, they were lovely parents. We felt very loved and um, very safe and secure in our home life. We, we didn't have a lot in a monetary um, aspect, but um, my mum was lovely. Our home was always welcome to friends and um, she I can remember um, she would send around the shop for a loaf of bread and a half a pint of cream and so we'd have jam and cream on bread to, to fill up on if we had yeah. extra people for dinner. Right. So, you know, those sorts of things. As a child, you don't notice that. That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but it was always a happy place and there was all, other people were always very welcome. And we often had somebody living with us who, um, you know, at the time didn't have anywhere to go. So they were, my parents were very generous people in that way. Okay. So <laughs> what was life like at school and friendships? Um. I enjoyed school. I, I guess I was an average student. Um, school was a bit different to what it is today. It was a bit more sit down and listen than what children are able to do today. They're able to to speak out their ideas and work them through. Um, but, you know, generally I did fairly well at school and I always had lots of friends um, once again, my mum would make them welcome. Um, if I had a school friend come and stay overnight, we used to share the bed top and tail because <laughs> 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 there weren't any spare beds in our house. <laughs> right. And I shared a bedroom with two sisters, so that was quite busy, but there was always lots of laughter and um, 
And I still have some of those primary school friends, which, you know, I think that's really special to have friends for that length of time from your school days. Yeah. Mm. So did you, um, did things change once you went out of primary school? Not terribly. I guess getting into teenage years is always a little tumultuous as you, you know, go through the process of growing up. But um, I had a lovely mum who had a really, um, she was always able to bring you back to the sensible side of life. You know, she had lovely sayings that she she realised that as a young teenager you'd be restless. So on a hot night she would suggest that we'd walk down to the shops for an ice cream and that was always a lovely time for conversation. And at school I I may have mentioned that I I went to a central school so I only did year seven and eight and then I went on to a business college which I know was very difficult for my mum because it was a private business college and they had to to pay for that. But they were always um, ready and willing to make sacrifices to give us what we wanted to do. Still, I think we had a... I was very fortunate to have a pretty good time. Mm. Okay. Uh, So what about you, Robin? Same question. So what was growing up like and going to school and family... For you. Yeah, so um, like Wilma, I, I didn't have any active alcoholism in my family. I was one of two. I had a, a younger brother who was four years younger. Um, I had a pretty happy, happy childhood, very happy childhood actually. Um, our grandfather did come to live with us at one point, and I believe that there's alcoholism in my father's side of the family, but I didn't really get to see it because by the time he came to live with us, he had converted to being Christian scientist and he also was teetotal. Our whole family were teetotal, actually. I just have memories of my brother and I then had to share the bedroom because he took my brother's room and I just had memories of him. If I ever passed the door, he'd call me in and he was just reading the Bible. That was all he did. He was Mum told me he was depressed and he just would sit there and read his Bible and when I went, he'd drag me in there and he'd start reading passages out of the Old Testament, um, all the begats and the begones and all the rest of it. (laughs) Glory bits particularly seemed to liken the hell and damnation. I had all that bit underlined for my benefit. So, you know, apart from that, I had lots of friends. Um, You know, there was a lot of freedom in my life when I was growing up. It was in the 50s and... We didn't, nobody worried where you were. We didn't come home till after dark sometimes. Um, I'd go to my friend's place after school. It was a very free sort of life, really. Uh, it was a good childhood. Yeah. So what about family life? What was that like? Look, my family life was good. Um, my mother, we were very, very protected by my mother. She was, she, she didn't want us to take any risks and, um, she was quite controlling in that way. So I didn't have a lot of worldly experience growing up. Uh, we were very protected. She she wouldn't really let us be exposed to anything that might upset the perfection of our family. We had a bit of a perfection thing happening in our family. Everything was perfect. You didn't discuss anything. If, if anything got out of kilter or I started to have an argument or anything like that, then 
we'd be made to apologise straight away. It'd be smoothed over very, very quickly. Um, yeah, so I didn't learn skills of negotiation or how to handle conflict or any of that. It was all just the perfect image, really. It was good. It wasn't bad or anything like that. It just didn't really equip me to deal with other things that I had to confront later on. Yeah. So what about um, as a teenager? Did you have? Did that bring you into more conflict? I did come into conflict with my father when I was a teenager. And I did... Um, I went to a girls' school, also quite protected at the girls' school. Didn't understand anything about mixing with boys or anything like that. Everything happened with church, with our family. We were very closely linked into our church life. So I still, still felt quite protected still I was kind of confused with how the world went and yeah I felt like I didn't really mature at the same rate that maybe some other girls did I felt quite child quite childlike really right through my teens and quite confused about how the world was supposed to operate so did that change when you left high school uh, yes, leaving high school I went to uni and it was a very different world, a very different world, lots of heavy, heavy drinking. Um, my, my particular group of friends were very heavy drinkers, partying. I didn't participate so much because uh, every time I drank beer I threw up, so <laughs> I didn't, didn't really participate very much in the drinking, but I was a part of it. I was a part of the scene. So did you fit into that scene? I sort of fitted in everywhere because I would just be, just be the um, chameleon. So I just fitted into whatever, wherever the crowd went, I would fit in. And I had a boyfriend the whole time I was at uni for three years. So um, he was part of our little circle of friends. He also drank very heavily. Most of them gave up once they settled into family life. A couple of them didn't, but um, most of them did actually. Once they got married and had children, they, they cut back the drinking. Well, they weren't alcoholic anyway. Uh, well, I might swap back to you, Wilma. How did things change in your life leaving school? Well, going to work um, is a very different matter. Um, but, you know, I, being in the workforce quite early, I think I was in the workforce by the time I was 15. Um, so it does make you grow up quickly but I do remember being very proud. I wasn't paid very much, as you can imagine, in those days. But I do remember being very proud. My dad had to go on strike. And I think I got the equivalent of about $7 a week back then. And um, the family managed on my wages. Mum gave me back the, enough money to have a bus fare. And um, at the end of that... And I know that they must have laid it, but they gave me a really beautiful brooch, which I still have today. It, it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but, you know, they were so grateful that I was able to help out. And um, I worked in a couple of different offices and then decided that I'd change um, my career and I went to do dental nursing, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, before I'd gone to dental nursing, I'd met um, the man of my dreams. <laughs> and um, so we, we started to see each other once I'd left that particular office. And um, 
I guess we went out for about 12 months and got engaged and then 12 months we got married. So I was married by the time I was 20, but my husband was about seven years older than me. So I think having somebody older seems to stabilise you a bit. Um, I, I was at home until I was married. I often laugh. I slept in a bedroom with two sisters um, even up to the night before I got married. So no. <laughs> being, ma- <laughs> being married was very different. <laughs> I can't even recall crying for my mum on my honeymoon. <laughs> I don't think that's uncommon. <laughs> I was really madly in love. Um, I really adored this man. And um, he did do some drinking which I didn't take too much notice of because, you know, young people often around that age are experimenting and, and trying out drinking. Unfortunately, drinking got a hold on him and I didn't realise that for a while. So we were we were really quite happy and he was a lovely person, very gentle, sensitive, loved my parents and my family so, you know, we got along well with everybody and I know that people used to admire the two of us, think we were lucky, the relationship that we had. So I was very shocked when um, alcoholism began to raise its ugly head and spoil that that really lovely relationship that we had. And, of course, it happens slowly, so you don't, you know, sometimes you don't notice things because it's taking a long time to happen. But yeah, that really shocked me. I was I was really confused. I just didn't understand what was happening. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. Goongarra Environment Centre and Wildlife of the Central Highlands have started an email action for the threatened Greater Glider. Over 25% of the glider's habitat has been burnt in the fires and 90% of areas set aside for protection by the government last year have also burned. Yet their habitat is still being logged in the central highlands. Go to gecko.org.au to send an email to government ministers to call for protection of all remaining greater glider habitat. Goongarra Environment Centre Office is a 3CR supporter. Interested in listening to other episodes of the show? Well, we have almost 120 podcasts available on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. The website also provides details of how you can get in contact with us, either by phone, email or Twitter. I'm talking with Wilma and Robin about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alaron family groups. Um, So, Robin, we... We finished talking. Uh, I think, yeah, you're at uni, um, and I think you, the last thing you said was people were sort of um, straightening themselves out when they went when they got married and things. So, what did you do when you left uni? Uh, well, when I left uni, my first job was with the Department of Overseas Trade, and I think I must have got the taste of travel. I just wanted to travel, so as soon as I possibly could, and I'd saved enough money. My girlfriend and I went overseas and I was actually overseas for two years, um, which was 
wonderful, really. Wonderful that I could do that. Um, when I came back, I um, got a job in the music industry. I worked in the music industry in one form or another for most of my working career and um, went through quite a lot of boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them were probably alcoholic, but I didn't stay long enough to find out. Right. Um, I waited for the perfect man until I was 50. Right, okay. So how did that go? Well, I thought I did meet the perfect man when I was 50. And um, he actually was in AA when I met him. And I had no experience of alcoholism. It hadn't really, although it was on the fringes sometimes, it was certainly not affecting my life until that point. Um, and also because he was in AA, he's a very charismatic man, very um, high, quite a high-profile person. I had lots, lots more experience than I had, and I sort of had him on a bit of a pedestal, I suppose. And I thought because he was in AA, he must be perfect. He must have actually conquered every possible demon that could come along. So he had a pretty hard road to meet by the time I met him. Yeah. You know, he had a lot to live up to. <laughs> he fell off his pedestal very, very quickly. <laughs> so did you go to AA meetings with him? Yes, I used to go to AA meetings and, um, uh, you know, I was quite shocked when I heard people's stories about how their lives had been destroyed by alcoholism, but also inspired by, you know, how AA does actually give them a new life, actually gives them a life that they never had in many ways. And he used to share that with me as well. Um, he still suffered a lot from the effects of alcoholism um, in his own life and came from a family of many alcoholics. His extended family are all alcoholics. Um, and, you know, he used to sort of share with me that he couldn't control all of his emotions and, and couldn't really control them because he had nowhere to put them anymore once he gave up drinking. He, he used to actually, if he got angry, he could actually turn to the bottle, but now he couldn't. So... He was still experiencing the effects of alcoholism and and that used to impact on our relationship as well. Mm. And the AA meetings, I thought they were wonderful. I just thought AA was fantastic, but I did used to cry quite a lot for some reason. Um, I think probably I knew that our relationship wasn't really going that well and, and that I was actually getting very enmeshed with him and very quite codependent. And someone at AA suggested that I um, go to Al-Anon. That's what I did. And I've been there ever since for 16 years now. Mm. Okay. It's wonderful. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we'll get there in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what what were the things about his behavior that, that triggered you or triggered a response in you? Well, they say that, that a lot of alcoholics are very restless, irritable and discontent and he had all those characteristics. He was very restless. He was always wanting to go off into new projects. Um, so I just couldn't understand why we couldn't settle down and just make our life together but he would want bigger things, bigger bigger things all the time and had a very short fuse and that used to affect me. Um, because probably because of my upbringing, we never had arguments in our family because we never got that far. They were always shut down very quickly. So I had no skills. I had no ability to deal with um, an angry person that 
uh, yeah, he would get very angry sometimes. And, it, it, you know, it just impacted on our relationship because uh, I would withdraw and then I stopped sharing. Uh, so it's not good for intimacy and relationship if you stop sharing in that respect. No. So were you, were you scared of him? Was that sort of, was it a fear thing? Um, a couple of times, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mainly verbal, but there were a couple of times um, where I did actually get quite fearful. And a couple, I can remember the neighbours coming in one day to see if I was all right. Um, so, and that sort of shocked me too, that we'd be exposed to the neighbours hearing that. And, yeah. So it was there, it was more an underlying thing than anything. And also the fact that we just didn't seem to move through. We'd have these big arguments and then we'd calm down, but we wouldn't move through the issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll swap back to you then, uh, Wilma. I think we left you, you, you got married and things were becoming progressively difficult. So did the progress of your husband's drinking relate to the arrival of children or anything like that or just life? No, I don't think so, Bill. I I think that um, that alcoholism was there anyway. He was going to be a person that if he drank, he was going to be affected by it. He had. I realised that he did drink quite heavily when we were younger. Um, I know that he gave it up for sport for a time because he was a really good footballer. He loved his kids, but I don't think that children was something that triggered him. I think he was a sensitive person and that life, I think life sort of affected him. His father was an alcoholic. He came from an alcoholic home and I know that his dad was an alcoholic and his grandfather was an alcoholic and I think a lot of his uncles were as well Um, and he'd grown up around that. So unfortunately, I don't know whether it looks attractive or or what, but I guess if you're predisposed to the disease, it's going to catch you anyway. So, um, but it did progress, unfortunately, and that things became quite difficult. He um, started drinking more and more heavily, but the... The sad thing was that it affected his personality so that when he was drinking, um, instead of being that lovely, affectionate, you know, easy to get along with person, he would start to be picky, angry. Um, In later years, he wouldn't even sit with us for dinner. He'd go and sit on the floor in the bedroom with the door shut, tell me that, you know, what are you serving up this? I won't say the word that he said, <laughs> to eat, um, you know, that sort of thing, which was really heartbreaking when, you know, when you know what kind of a person he is underneath. But um, unfortunately, I hadn't been to Al-Anon, so I didn't understand that this was um, a symptom of the disease. And, you know, Robin said anger is there and it just seems to make them can make them very angry. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't ever frightened of him. Um, I was just really angry. There were times when um, I remember one night I did chase him up. He was at the golf club. 
and I was home with the three kids and I knew that's where he would be. So I went there and I very quietly said to him, if you don't come home now, I will make a big scene. And I, I just can't believe that I did that. But, <laughs> you know, the frustration of living with someone who's suffering from alcoholism is enormous and it does make us do things that we we can't believe later on that we that we did. Mm. Um, did mm. you did you think that he was a greedy person and was drinking to spite you? I uh, yes, I did. I didn't understand that um, alcoholism was a disease, and I did think that he was doing it to me. Um, you know, my life by then had become very lonely in the marriage because I was doing everything by myself. I would do the shopping alone, I would buy the fish and chips on Friday night alone, I would go to the parent-teacher interviews with the kids alone. Um, I was really fortunate that um, because I had three, we had three kids and my son was in the middle and I wanted something for him um, that his older sister couldn't be better at because he's just one of those really lucky kids that things fall into place for. So I joined scouting and um, my son and I used to go off to scouting, you know, with our once a week meeting and, and I got quite involved in that and I did that for 26 years. And um, that really gave me, I think that helped save us a lot because it really gave me something that did take my eyes off the alcoholic because I I did watch him very closely. You know, you get this, you're so worried about what's going to happen and what state they'll come home in and, um, you know, that you tend to watch everything that they're doing. So, Okay. So when did you think that you needed to get help or needed to do something differently? Well, um, it was a long time before I sought any help. Um, I think that we'd been married a good at least 34 years before I heard about Al-Anon. Um, and I, I went on a trip to India. I met, met someone on that very, very small trip. There were only nine of us. And that person happened to be an Al-Anon member. And um, as you do, you share your stories. And um, she told me about Al-Anon and that was how I came to to be in the program. It took her a little while to convince me. Not that she, she it was only by suggestion because in Al-Anon we never give advice, we only suggest. <laughs> and um, she would suggest that perhaps would we like to go to a meeting and I'd quickly say no I came to visit you <laughs> and then I think one night I was just so sick of my life and um, I wondered whether or not it would help and she just happened to say would you like to come and I said yes swallowed my pride and said yes and um, that was my introduction so you know I was in my 50s before I got to Alan that Al-Anon teaches us that we get here at exactly the right time. So, you know, I often wish I had have been there sooner. But anyway, that's how it was. And um, I'm most grateful that 
I, I did take courage in my hands and take that step to um, walk through the door of Al-Anon. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might take another break. The Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, resilience, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival... February 20 to March 6 at Cinema Nova and venues across Melbourne. Head to transitionsfilmfestival.com for details. A 3CR supporter. This is The Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Wilma and Robin, and we're talking about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. Uh, so, Robin, um, we finished up with you talking about your husband. Your husband was in AA. You'd been to a few AA meetings, and you thought maybe Al-Anon could be for you. So what, what was it like going to your first meeting? Yeah, actually, I, Bill, I was just remembering when I, when Wilma was sharing that um, what prompted me to go was because um, we were living in Bali at the time, and I'd sort of forgotten that. I just thought I was going. To, I was going to AA meetings, but he was in Bali doing a project up there, and I, I actually gave up my business. I gave up a lot, and I gave up my business, and I moved up there to be up there, and it didn't work out very well, and. Um, yeah, he, he was really struggling up there too. Um, cause he actually was building a hotel. So it was it was not a good time. And I, re- I started to realise that I just um, I was giving my life away. I, was not, I wasn't the person I thought I was before or that I, I knew. So that combined with going to AA meetings, I was still going to AA meetings and he'd be away for three, four, five months. I wouldn't hear from him for three or four, five months. So I just would keep going to the AA meetings. And it was then that someone said to me, you know, why don't you try Al-Anon? It's probably going to be better for you. And I did. I went to my first meeting. I've been going to Al-Anon ever since, 16 years now. And um, it's been a wonderful journey, wonderful. It was great right from the start. I just remember a member saying to me, I cried through my first meeting and she said at the end, do you feel any better than you did at the start? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, well, you keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> good one. <laughs> so, and I took her advice and it's been a good, it's been a good journey. Yeah. So um, what were the things that you found that you were doing that you didn't realize? I was very enmeshed with him. I was very, um, I kind of lived my life through him, through his life. And I kind of, started to develop something that I loved. I was actually a music teacher before I loved what I did. I loved my work. And yet somehow I thought that it it wasn't as good as what he was doing. He had more to offer. He had a bigger picture. It looked all looked a lot more exciting. And when we first met, he said to me, I don't want to spend another winter in Melbourne. And I just thought, I didn't realise that meant winter, summer, spring, forever. I just thought thought he wanted to have a a holiday in winter. (laughs) So 
you know, we weren't even on the right wavelength when we got together. It, it was, um, yeah, we just weren't on the right wavelength. At the same time, my mother was um, quite mm. ill, and I was getting, I was very close to my mother, and I was very involved with looking after her created a lot of conflict because they didn't get on well together they didn't like each other they both were trying to have a bit of a pull of me so yeah it was a very very difficult time and confusing time because I felt that he should be there supporting me as my partner with my mother who I loved and he felt that my mother was actually just impinging on our relationship so yeah it, I got very anxious over those over those years, and it went on for quite a few years actually. Um, when I was trying to sort of balance between between people, the same with my friends. I lost a lot of friends over that time. Just I uh, found that I just had separated my life from what it was to being a part of his life. And when I realised that wasn't working, what I tended to do was just detach from that and then I'd try and live my life completely separate from his life and that didn't work either. So it's been a very progressive thing to actually, we've stayed together and we've both grown through our own programs. It's been rewarding, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so how did you find, you know, that once you got into Al-Anon, how did you find that you changed? Um, well... For a start, I felt accepted right from when I came in and nobody tried to fix me up or give me advice. I loved that. I loved that people would just listen to what you had to say. I loved the literature. I loved the slogans. I, I felt that I could apply them straight away. I met my sponsor um, at, I think, the first meeting I went to uh, introduced me to a workshop. I went to a workshop shop immediately after that on sponsorship and I met my sponsor there um, who was wonderful um, so we're still very very close friends um, so immediately I was sort of thrown into the program and and started to work it and started to um, get to know who I was really started to detach more with love than detach without love um, so can you to be much more accepting? Yeah, can you just talk a bit more about Sorry. detachment, the difference between before and after? So I had got to the point where I just thought I should have my own life and and not communicate with my partner much at all. We just had very separate lives, and that didn't work either. It's just not very loving. I became quite angry, actually, and resentful. I had a lot of resentment when I first came into Ellen. I felt like he he'd mucked up my life, really didn't take much responsibility for it. I thought it was all inflicted on me. I was very much on the pity pot when I first came to Al-Anon. I thought I was the victim of, yeah, pretty horrible life, really. So turning that around and starting to find some things to be grateful for in my life, I had to practice that a lot when I first came. Um, but it was a big turnaround for me to start to think that I had some blessings in life and things that I could value about myself as well. Yeah, service really helped in that. Service really helped me to. I became a GR quite quickly, um, without knowing what I was doing. Really, I think the person <laughs> the person just said, "Would you like to do it?" And then she never came back. <laughs> so I just I didn't even know I was doing it for three years at that stage. But uh, it's all been good experience for me, and it's just helped me. I was just very childish, very immature before. I just thought that 
love was going to solve it all, that my partner was going to become what I wanted him to be and fulfill all the things that were missing in my life up until that point. And, of course, it doesn't happen, particularly if you've got alcoholism in your background. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't happen that way. I had to find my own path. So did you find that you could accept the fact that he was an alcoholic and that's what alcoholics do? Yes. It actually took me quite a long time because I thought, because he was in AA, I thought, oh, well, he's solved all his problems. So yeah. why are we still having a problem in our relationship? Why do I identify with what other Al-Anon members are saying, that they're, you know, the way they're responding in their relationship is what I do, the same sort of dance, the same sort of doormatting, the same sort of just complying and being sucked into the other person's life. It took me a long time to really um, to understand what was going on with that and to understand that the effects of alcoholism can still be there in a person even after they've stopped drinking. So, yeah, did, Although did, I'm very grateful that he has, yeah. but the effects were still there. They're more subtle. They're just more subtle. Yeah. So one of the things in Al-Anon is talk about making amends. So did you? could you do that now? Yes. Definitely did. I definitely did. We, I made a lot of amends to him in a relationship, and I, I think because I was able to see my part in it, I could see that I was the common denominator in all, in all my difficulties in my life. I could see that my background had influenced that. I hadn't dealt with it. I've had lots of counselling and all that sort of thing, but somehow, Alanon made me face, made me face and take responsibility. I was confronted in a very different way to what I was in counselling. Counselling always was sort of, I don't know, they allowed me to keep, keep blaming the other person. Because yeah. Eleanor doesn't. <laughs> Eleanor doesn't allow you. They don't put up with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they do for a bit, but not long. <laughs> not very long at all. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, so I might swap back to Wilma. So, Wilma, you found out about Eleanor. So coming to Eleanor, what, what were your first impressions? Um, well, I always identify with a newcomer because I think it takes a great deal of courage to walk through the doors of Al-Anon. I was always so scared that someone who knew me would see me there. Now, of course, I realise how crazy that that particular concern is, but it's a concern that most people have. And the wonderful thing about Al-Anon is that we have anonymity and, you know, everyone who comes into the meeting learns and respects that anonymity. So we know that it's a safe place to go and to share and um, we learn by listening to each other. We, you know, nobody gives you advice or tells you what to do, but it's it's a strange thing that just listening to other people can teach you so much and that's what I found coming into Al-Anon was that I felt that I was home. Um, these people understand me and I know that whatever I say here, it stays here. I, I can share safely what I need to share. I love the support that I get but I particularly love the love that I get um, from, you know, all members. It's, you know, even they say um, the people that we don't like, we love each other in a very special way and 
that's because we understand that the program is there for everyone who wants to partake of what you know the wonderful um, lessons that we learn in Al-Anon and um, you know I didn't get to Al-Anon till I was in my 50s but I always say that Al-Anon has helped me to grow up so it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty sad thing when you think that you're in your 50s and you're just starting to grow up but I guess there's lots of people out there that never ever learn how to approach um, challenges in our life in a mature fashion and um, besides alcoholism that's what Al-Anon does for us uh, any relationship with a child with with um, parents with um, people in the outside world we learn how to respect other people and to listen that's the biggest lesson that I learned in Al-Anon was to listen and um, I think it made me feel ashamed because for years I hadn't listened to my alcoholic. I was always right. I was the one that didn't drink. I was the one that did everything. I'm going to make this perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, going to Al-Anon, when someone shares, everybody sits quietly. Nobody interrupts until that person who's sharing has indicated that they've finished. And in that way, I learned, um, I often say, I used to hear, but I didn't listen. And I love that fact that I've learned to listen to other people and to give them the respect to be able to finish a sentence um, to... Um, and to express themselves the way that they want to. Yep. So, you know, it makes a really big difference in your life, learning that respect for others. Mm. Mm. Um, so did you try and monitor the alcoholics drinking? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I remember my husband, um, our home had a flat roof and he would be up on the roof cleaning out the, the gutterings and there would be the glass and the bottle following him along as he even, you know, did the roof. Um, and I did all those things that, that we learn later on that exactly the wrong things to do, like empty out the bottles if you got half a chance and, um, you know, yell at him and be disapproving all of those sorts of things mm. so um you asked robin earlier about making amends and they're the sorts of things that you can do when you've learnt some of your program in Al-Anon is to make amends and say sorry for for having been so judgmental so you know i'm so grateful for all the lessons that i've learnt in Al-Anon. Mm. Mm. So did did your husband continue drinking? Uh, he did. And um, things got... He started to get really, really affected by alcohol. I know that he, he didn't tell me, but he lost his job. Now he had an extremely strict and strong work ethic. So for him to lose a job must have been just terrible for him. So things were 
really progressing and getting very, very difficult. And the thing that worried me, one of the things that worried me the most was that I didn't like who I was becoming. I felt I had this awful feeling that as a personality I was disappearing and um, I just made the decision that we needed to be apart and unfortunately I, I did make the decision to leave. I've always felt very guilty about that and um, although it was the right thing to do because after a couple of years my husband made the decision to give up drinking and made himself very ill because he, he was drinking heavily one day and stopped the next. But with medical treatment and whatever, he didn't continue with AA. He went to a few meetings but decided it wasn't for him. Um, but he had, you know, quite a, a strong personality and he, he managed to do that. He still had a lot of the isms which is why we never ever lived together again. The thing with alcoholism is that it seems to stop a person's growth in their life. They've got to a certain point and and that's where they stop. And that was one of the things I didn't like for me was that I felt that my life had stopped and that I wasn't progressing or going anywhere in life. So although we separated, um, he wasn't very happy with me when it all first happened, but um, it was wonderful to see what happened for him after he had stopped drinking. His, his children got their dad back, his grandchildren had their papa, and um, I love this little story about my granddaughter who my husband used to look after sometimes. And we had a Christmas Day gathering and we were all sitting around the table. And little Tess, who was about four, her f we had a little thing going around the table, what was your favourite thing for this Christmas Day? And little Tess said, my favourite thing was when I came in, Papa was here. And I've always felt so grateful that my husband saw that love that that little girl had for him and that I saw that love and that look on my husband's face um, when she said that. So it made a really big difference to his life. My youngest daughter and her partner were building a house and a house for me and my husband used to come up every week and help build both houses so he had 10 sober years before he died and a lot of family involvement. And although we lived separately, we were quite good friends, and, but we were always there for each other and, um, you know, to drive each other if we had an appointment or um, look out for each other if they weren't well or whatever it might be. So. I really feel that Al-Anon gave me back a relationship with my husband um, because I was able to understand what alcoholism was about. Mm. Thank you. Um, if anybody's out there uh, and is interested in Al-Anon family groups, uh, you can contact them by phone on 1300 252 666 or you can go online at alanon.org.au. Uh, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Wilma and Robin for joining me 
and sharing their Al-Anon Family Group's recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thanks, Very Bill. welcome, Bill. It's wonderful Bill. to share. Okay. Yeah. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Gamblers Anonymous. Stay tuned now for a new show called Alternative, uh, hosted by Robbie, which is coming up right now. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called The Fires Are Burning by Philip Masur. Turning back